Well, if you've been with us this month and you know that we are uh, now at the end of a series that we have called Next, where together over the last few weeks we've been leaning in together to the, the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, and asking this question, what what is next for us as we look at those teachings and those words of Jesus? And in just a minute, we're going to jump into the, the last part of this series. We'll, we'll land the plan today, so to speak. But before we do, I need to tell you about, about one more thing that I think is really important and, and I want you to know about. Uh, last year, our shepherds here at Riverside uh, put in place for our ministers, our ministry team, uh, a sabbatical plan, a sabbatical uh, policy where every five years, after every five years of service to the Riverside Church, uh, our ministers would be um, given a four-week sabbatical, a time to withdraw, rest, uh, renew, and, um, and really be able to re-engage ministry and the road ahead. And, and I want you to know, as, as a minister at Riverside, that is, that is unbelievable. It is a tremendous blessing to be at a church that, that gives its ministry staff that kind of opportunity, and you just cannot know uh, what that means to us. I think everybody understands you know, ministry is a little different. It's a, it's a, it's a calling, and it's kind of messy when, you're, when your work life and your spirituality kind of get tangled up a little bit. And so it's good to have, have time to kind of separate that out sometimes and to be called back and to be renewed. And, and Jesus himself modeled this for us, this, this behavior, this activity of withdrawing to pray, to taking times to separate himself from the crowd, to, to renew his spirit and be renewed with God. So I'm really grateful to be at a church that supports that. Last year, Jason Graves uh, was the first because he's been here for, for 10 years. He was, he was due two, I guess, but he took one and, uh, and had a, an incredible time to withdraw and rest and renew and pray. And, and now it's time for Rhonda Cullum. Rhonda is our children's minister. She's been serving our church for seven years. And if you have a, a kid that's been in our ministry, in our children's ministry, then, then you and your family have been blessed directly by her efforts and what she does for our church. And I know for me and for my family, we could not be more thankful to have Rhonda as our children's minister. And when we were looking for a church, that was one thing we were looking for, a place that had a solid kids' ministry and a solid youth ministry. And at Riverside, we're blessed to have both. And I'm so grateful for, for what Rhonda does for us. What I want you to know is that beginning February 4th, Rhonda will be on sabbatical for, uh, for four weeks. And during that time, she'll be, she'll be unavailable. So if she doesn't respond to your email, she's not being rude. Uh, she will get back to you when she returns. Uh, what I want to ask you to do, though, is to be praying for her. Uh, that's our responsibility as a faith family, to be praying for her while she's away. And uh, she has a sabbatical plan in place. Our shepherds have approved that. She's covered her responsibilities while she is gone. This morning, she's actually in wild worship. So when we're done, if you see her, uh, give her a hug and let her know you'll be praying for her while she is away. But I wanted you to know that's coming up. And I wanted you to know what a blessing that is for her and really for all of us uh, as ministers of this church. Thank you for being a church uh, that does that for us. What a tremendous gift and a tremendous blessing. All right, let's jump into this last installment. Have you enjoyed uh, this season, the, this time of kind of getting into the, 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 the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus together? I know I've heard from a lot of you uh, that it's, it's been good, but it's also been incredibly challenging. And I think that's, that's the way it is with the teachings of Jesus. Uh, the words of Jesus, they are not for the faint of heart. He is calling us into a different kind of life, a different kind of lifestyle. So we've asked this question every week, what's next? And it's sort of a, a twofold question, what's next for you individually? But it's also asking the question, what's next for us collectively? And we've said this, and I believe this is true, that whatever is true for us as a church has to begin with what's next for you. And as together, individually and collectively, we lean into the words of Jesus, I can't help but think that we're all going to be changed. And that God's going to do something in your life, in our life, uh, that, that will surprise us. 
and remind us that he is good and he is our father and he's working in our life over and over again, sometimes in ways we can't see in the moment, but he's always at work for us. And so we started four weeks ago with this idea that we want to be a church, we want to be a people that read daily the words of Jesus. And we've embraced that challenge to read the red letters of Jesus every, every, every week this month. And then we said we want to be people who not only read, but we want to be a people who give, who are a people of uncommon generosity. And that is a spirit that is rising in this church. And I praise God to be, a, uh, to be in a place like that. And I'm so thankful for your generosity. I pray that will be true of us, that we will continue to give faithfully. But not just that, that like we talked about last week, that we will pray continually. It was an awesome moment last week, I'll just tell you. To, to stand over here and to watch all of you gather around different doors in this place and post your prayers and then to see all of those taken. And I'm so grateful that this week you've been praying. And if you posted a prayer, you, you need to know it's been prayed over, over and over again. In our family, every night we prayed over these prayers together. And it was powerful for our kids to pray for some of you. And we didn't know who we were praying for, but we knew that, that someone needed a prayer. And what a blessing to be a part of a praying church. And then today, we want to land with this whole deal with this big idea, that this calls for life change. That Jesus is calling us to, in a very literal way, to live differently. And maybe the question to start with is this. If you could change one thing about your life, what would it be? If you could change one thing about your life, what would it be? I, I love the story of Catherine Arnold and Jay Wolfe. Catherine and Jay were married on November 6, 2004 in Athens, Georgia, surrounded by 600 of their closest friends and family. It was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful wedding. It was one of those where all those dreams come true. It was an incredible moment as they made their vows to each other to love each other in sickness and in health, for richer or poorer, till death do us part. They made those vows at the ripe old age of 22. Uh, excited to start out on their life together. They had big plans and ambitions. They're going to move 2,500 miles away to sunny California, to Los Angeles. Catherine had, had big dreams of uh, getting into the entertainment industry and, and actually had some, some jobs uh, in, in the, as a modeling career. Jay was going to uh, get his law degree from Pepperdine University, so they make the move 2,500 miles away from friends and family. And Jay's father told him, he said, this is the one piece of advice I'm going to give you. Los Angeles is a, is a big place, and you're going to get lost in the shuffle unless, unless as soon as you get there, you find a church, you find a faith family, and you plug in right away. And to their credit, they did that. They found a place to call home, a faith family to belong to. They got involved, and pretty quickly they were asked to lead the, the young couples group, the young marrieds uh, group, and they did that. They'd only been married for a year, so what did they know? But they were reading every book they could get a hold of and getting this group together to talk together, to pray together, to be together, and Pretty soon, a Christian community was formed around them of these young couples who were leaning in to God together, and it was incredible. And life was going, you know, the way it should have gone. A few years later, on October 16, 2007, Jay is in his final year of law school, and their, their first child is born, James is born. He came probably a, a little ahead of what they thought in terms of their planning, but God's timing is always right, so he got there right on time, and for the next six months, it's what you would expect. Life is great. Jay is finishing his law degree. Catherine's taking care of this newborn child. Everyone is happy. Everyone is healthy. Everything is the way it's supposed to be. And then on April 21st of 2008, Jay is getting ready to go to class. His final class. 
before you can graduate. Catherine says, you know, I'm not feeling great today. I feel a little off. And Jay's thinking, oh boy, are you pregnant? I mean, we're not ready for number two yet. <laughs> Hold on. She's like, I don't know. He goes to class. It's over. He wraps it up. He quickly returns home. He wants to know how Catherine is feeling and, and, and if they're pregnant, you know, what's going on. And come to find out they're not. But she says, I'm still not feeling right. Something feels off. A little time goes by and all of a sudden Catherine's hands go numb and then her arms and then her legs and she's struggling to make it over to the TV remote where she can finally turn it off and get Jay's attention. He comes running over and he holds her on the floor and he can tell immediately something is really wrong. He looks in her eyes and her eyes are completely dilated and he's, you know, flipping out and she is too and they call 911 and what he later found out was that in that moment, what Catherine was experiencing was a massive brainstem stroke. She had a massive AVM that was rupturing, a, a defect, a congenital defect she didn't even know she had. Ambulance takes them to UCLA Medical Center. Dr. Nestor Gonzalez, one of the world's greatest neurosurgeons, happened to be on call that day. But he looked at Jay and he said, this is, this is the largest AVM I have ever seen. And you just need to know, we're going to take her into surgery, but we don't expect her to live. What do you do when the world, when your world is completely turned upside down? What do you do when, when life one day is exactly as it should be and the exact next day it is completely falling apart and you wake up to your worst nightmare? What's next for you when that happens? Some of you, you've lived through major tragedy and trauma like that, and so you, you know something about what this is like. I didn't even know Danny was going to be talking about that today, and I think it's just the way God works all this out. But you, sometimes this happens. These things happen. Trauma happens. Stroke happens. What happens? What's next when that happens? And some of you, maybe you haven't experienced major life-altering trauma like that, but you've been in that place where it feels like everything that can go wrong does go wrong, and lots of things start piling up, and the world is falling apart all around you. And what's next? What's next when you feel like everyone around you is blessed, but you feel like you're up under some kind of curse? When we started this series a few weeks ago, we, we began with the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' famous teaching there in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Today, as we end this series, I want to back up to the beginning of his teaching there. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, you can open that up. We're going to look and start in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Because if you back up just three verses before Jesus gives the greatest teaching the world has ever received, you find out what Jesus is doing right before he gives this incredible sermon, right as his ministry is beginning. Matthew tells us in Matthew 4, 23, this is what happened. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. So before Jesus preaches this great, incredible sermon, he announces the gospel, literally the good news, the gospel, and then he activates and demonstrates what life is like in the gospel kingdom that he is bringing, that he is inaugurating. And what is it like? It's a great reversal. 
Everything that's gone wrong since sin entered the picture is now going to be made right. So what is the first thing Jesus does to demonstrate what life is like in his kingdom? He finds these people who are suffering, who are, who are sick, who are, who are blind, and who are lame, and who are having all sorts of problems, and he heals them. Why? Because in his kingdom there is no sickness. There is no blindness. There is no lameness. None of that exists. That was not what life was like in the garden before sin entered the picture. And when he comes fully and finally, and when we all enter that renewed heaven and new earth that John prayed for earlier, this is what life will be like again in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not only announcing what life is going to be like, he's demonstrating and activating the kingdom in this moment. And so you can imagine what happens. Matthew tells us in verse 24, news about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick, and whatever their sickness or diseases, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, you know what Jesus did? He healed them all. So large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River, every place that is hearing this news about this Jesus who has this power to heal and to repair and to restore whatever is broken. They are coming to Jesus and large crowds are following Jesus because they want to see, they want to experience this gospel that Jesus is preaching. They want to see what's gone wrong reversed. They want to see their physical condition changed and that is exactly what Jesus is going to do. And then Jesus that crowds are gathering, and they have no idea what's going to happen next. You ever been somewhere where, like, you remember, like, where you were on that day when that historic thing happened? That had to be what's about to happen here, because they had no idea that as they're gathering, what's about to happen is going to be the most epic, the most talked about, the most thought about, the most written about, the most analyzed, the most theologized sermon ever preached the world has ever known. They're here on this day when this is about to happen. Some of you know what that's like. You remember where you were on January 28th, 1996, when the Cowboys last won the Super Bowl. It's been a long time. Sorry to bring up that pain, but you probably remember where you were. Because we remember where we are when important things happen. I guarantee you, as they're all gathering, they had no idea in the moment, but this is the day that they would always go back to and tell stories about. This is the day they told their kids and their grandkids about. They would say, I was there. They would tell their great-grandkids, you won't believe what this man Jesus did, and you won't believe what he said, let me tell you. And because they passed down their stories, we have this story. And Matthew says in chapter 5, verse 1, One day as Jesus saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and this was... This is where disciples, this isn't the 12. At this point in Matthew's story, he's only called four. This is everyone who has come, all these crowds that have gathered, who have chosen now to follow Jesus, who are, who are giving their lives to him in this moment. Wherever you go, we're following you because we've seen what you've done. They have gathered around Jesus. And you know what Jesus did? He began to teach them. And I want you to hear again these words that Jesus said as he begins this sermon. He says this, God blesses those who are poor, and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. 
God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Jesus begins this sermon, he's already changed their physical condition. He's already reversed the curse in their lives of the sickness that they've been living up under. And now he wants to reverse the way they think. He wants to change the way they think. He wants them to think differently. Because people who are poor generally don't think of themselves as blessed. People who live up under injustice don't feel like God is necessarily near. People who are mourned sometimes feel like God is far away. People who have been humbled are not the people who think that God's favor is over me right now. And and you know what? We think this way too, don't we? This This is the way we talk. We say that when we get the job or we get the raise or we get the house or we get into the college we want to get into or the, 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 the grade on the test we were hoping for, whenever whatever it is happens that's good and we get whatever we were wanting to get, we say things like, I'm so blessed. And you are. But Jesus says, that's not the only time you're blessed. And you can almost feel the collective jaw drop in this moment. Maybe it's lost its edge for us because we've heard it so often. But as Jesus is saying this, you can see their eyes getting wide and they're, they're leaning in because this is so different. It would have made more sense if Jesus said this. Those who are poor are cursed and in for a rough life. Those who are mourn, you need to know, you may never be comforted. Those who are humble may never get the recognition you're looking for. Those of you who are victims of injustice will never be satisfied. Those of you who are merciful need to figure out that it's an eye-for-an-eye world And you need to protect yourself. Those of you whose hearts are pure need to realize that you're never going to make it in this world full of evil and darkness. Those of you who work for peace, good luck. People will always find ways to be divided and hate each other. Those who are persecuted for doing right, get used to it. Those of you who are mocked and made fun of and persecuted, those of you who people make up lies about and say all sorts of evil things against you, you need to get a thick skin because you know what? It's a tough world out there. That would have made sense. You know why? Because that's the way people feel. That's the way we feel. And some of you today, you may feel like you're cursed. Or you're up under a curse. Because life's hard. And you're up under the struggle. And things are not going the way they're supposed to go. But Jesus says, you know what, it's actually the other way around. He wants you to think differently because it's in those moments when you're up under the pressures and the stressors of life that Jesus speaks to this crowd, and I think he speaks to us today. He says, you know what, in that moment, I want you to know something about God. You need to know that this is true in his kingdom. That when you're up under all of that, you're actually blessed. And people have debated this word for a long time. You know, is it the word blessed? Is it the word happy? Are you blessed when you do this? Or are you blessed if you're in this situation? Like, how does all this work? And Jesus is actually bringing an ancient word from, that's used over and over again in Psalms and Proverbs all the way through history into this moment and saying what is happening is that the favor of God is on your life even when you're up under. 
hardest parts of life. God's favor is on you and God's favor is upon you. And what you viewed as a curse, you're actually blessed. Why? The key phrase is in verse 11, because you are my followers. Because you are my followers, if you are up under the hardships and the struggles of life, you are actually blessed if you're my followers. And in fact, Jesus says, you know what? You should even be glad. The next, very next verse, he says, be happy about it. Be very glad. Why? Because a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Remember what? The ancient prophets? What was their job? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, their pur the purpose of every ancient prophet was to point the people of God back to God. And how did they do that? Every single prophet, at least the ones I can think of, did that up under incredible hardship and struggle. Isaiah was asked to preach to a generation that would never respond to his message. Elijah was under constant threat of death from Queen Jezebel. Jeremiah was arrested, imprisoned, and publicly disgraced. Ezekiel was exiled and sent to Babylon. Daniel, you know his story. He was thrown into a, a den of lions. Hosea was asked to marry a woman who would be unfaithful to him over and over again. To be called into the life of a prophet to point people back to God was not a call of prosperity. It was, a, it was a promise of hardship and struggle. But then to use that struggle, to use that pain as a platform to point the people of God back to God. So Jesus comes. And the first thing he does is begin to reverse the curse and change people's physical condition. And then he wants to change the way they think and say, you're not cursed. You're actually blessed. And God's favor is upon your life. And then for the next 97 verses, Jesus says, because of that, because the kingdom of heaven is coming and you've seen it evidenced among you, because you've changed and reoriented the way you think about this life in this world, now for the next 97 verses, he didn't actually have the verses that day, but we do. I want to change the way you live. So Jesus says this. If you're my followers, you are the salt and light in the world. If you're angry with someone, go and be reconciled to that person. Not only should you not commit adultery, you should not even lust. Jesus teaches us that divorce is not something that we should make light of. He tells us not to make vows, but that our yes and our no should be more than enough. He teaches that in an eye for an eye, in a tooth for a tooth world, we should not resist an evil person. That we should give to those who ask and not turn away from those who want to borrow. Jesus says that this is how you should live. You should love your enemies and pray for those who hurt you. That we should always give to those in need. We should actually pray in private and store up our treasure in heaven as we seek his kingdom above all else. Jesus tells us not to judge others, but to keep on praying and to do to others whatever we would want them to do to us and to stay on the narrow way that leads to eternal life. He teaches his disciples that just as we can identify a tree by its fruit, so we can identify people by their actions. And that not everyone who calls out to him, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of the Father will enter. And so he says, build your life on the red letters, on the teachings of Jesus, so that when this world is over or when this life is over, whichever comes first, we will be standing on the solid foundation that is Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Because when Jesus finished that, the crowd was amazed. They had never seen 
or never heard anyone like Jesus. Have you? Have you had that encounter with Jesus? Because I think when you do, it changes your life. I think for those that were there that day, they were never, ever the same again. Their lives were completely changed. And you know what? When you wake up and you realize the world is not the way it's supposed to be, when you wake up and you realize the life you're living is actually your worst nightmare, you can go back to these words of Jesus when you feel like you're up under a curse and say, no, no, actually I'm blessed because I've been called follow a savior that sees my circumstances and he calls me to follow him through my pain so that I can use my pain as a platform to proclaim the goodness and the greatness of God and point other people to the only God who saves what I love about the story of Jay and Catherine Wolf is that that's what happened it was supposed to be a seven hour surgery after 16 hours Dr. Gonzalez walked into the waiting room where he found Jay. The good news, Catherine has survived the surgery. The bad news, we have no idea what that means. We had to remove over half of her cerebellum. Several nerves were either lost or damaged. So when she wakes up, if she wakes up, we don't know what kind of life she's going to wake up to. It wasn't long after that that Catherine did wake up. And when she did, she was actually able to respond to simple commands. The nurses called Dr. Gonzalez and he rushed in. They got Jay in there and he came in and they could see that she was awake. Her eyes were open. She was responding to simple commands. And Dr. Gonzalez said, this this is a miracle. This doesn't happen. And now, it's taken a long time. But Catherine's able to talk. Half of her face is paralyzed. She's lost a lot of abilities and functions. She probably will never be a model in Los Angeles. But um, even though her life isn't easy, her story isn't over. And today she travels and she speaks and she writes. And you know what she talks about? travels the world and she talks to thousands of people and you know what she talks about? The goodness and the greatness of God. Really? She's able to be a mom to her two kids. Yeah, she has two now. And she travels the world and she tells people about the goodness and the greatness of God. Not cursed and blessed. This morning, I wish I had more time, but I want to show you a short clip because I really want you to hear from Catherine herself. So if you would, let's watch this short video together. Let's are off. Let's jump in. So guys, my husband, I'm Catherine Wolf, by the way. Hi. And my husband and I wrote a book several years ago and speak and write a lot now. And um, anyway, my son, who was seven years old, probably three years ago, after we've been to like a number of book signings and different things, and you know, strangers who follow you on Instagram, like frequently come up to you in a mall. <laughs> no, 
That's awesome. I do, I do love it. And James says, are you famous? And I mean, it was like a reaction of a mother, like, just so you know, no. But more than that, I said, and I love this response, just like came out of me, like, I am most definitely not famous, but I get to be a part, you get to be a part of making Jesus famous. And, oh, don't clap, don't clap. And I realized as I marinated on that subsequently that that is all of our call as believers. We get to be a part of making Jesus famous. It's kind of important. And as I've thought about my story, it's kind of everything. It's pure gold. The pain I've experienced in my story, some of you know it, it's kind of been yuck and likely your test too, but it has become this incredible platform. Pain is platform. And you get to do this. Say, Lord, now my life really can point to you in a special way. And that's a great gift of suffering. I want to jump in by telling you that stewarding, leveraging this verbiage around here is so awesome. I just love it so much. And it's kind of the point of everything is to steward and leverage our lives. And this does include the hard part, the suffering, the tragedy we all go through, and not just the weird highlight reel, because who really cares about anybody else's highlight reel, honestly? Maybe for a few minutes you do, but you really care to see what happens when the bottom falls out in people's life. What are they doing then? Nobody really cares when you're off on this fabulous vacation and your life is perfect forever and you're really skinny and all is well and you're rich. No one cares, but you certainly care when someone's life goes off the rails. That's when you're really interested in what now? Don't they follow Jesus? So are they still going to turn to Jesus even now? So I think it's really interesting to unpack how can we really live both our suffering, our hardships, and the best moments, all of it, for his name and his renown. I think Catherine knew, and I think Jesus was trying to show us that, that this matters. That, that the life, the way you live, the life you live matters. And the invitation of Jesus is to live different. That, that you're not cursed if you're up under the hardships of life. You're actually blessed. And I love the way she says this, that your pain becomes your platform. And you get to do this. You get to lift it up to God. And you get to point other people to God. And don't miss this. If you're taking all your problems and all your worries and all those things that are going wrong in your life, and you're just complaining to everyone around you about them and not talking about Jesus, then you've missed it. But when you take that pain and you take that suffering and you lift it up to God and you share with others what in the world is going wrong, but that at the center of it all, you are not alone. But you are walking with, or should I say, he is walking, Jesus is walking with you through that. And you get to glorify, you get to amplify, you get to point other people to Jesus. And this, I believe, is the call. Not, not just that we would read the teachings of Jesus, but we have to follow that. Not that we would just give faithfully, although that's important to experience, I think, his faithfulness. 
Not that we are just called to pray, that we're called to live, to enter into this life. And it's a different way of living. But the life you live and the way you live, the life you live matters. And the call of Jesus is to live different. Church, if you would, let's stand together. I love what Scott McKnight once said about the Sermon on the Mount. He said, the only response to the Sermon on the Mount is to declare who he is by the way we live. And it's my prayer that as a church that this would be true of us, that we would declare who Jesus is by the way we live. You could ask yourself, what's one thing I want to change about my life? And that's a good question to ask. I don't, I'm not knocking that question. But maybe a better question would be if Jesus could change one thing about my life, what would that how can I bring my life back into alignment with the red letters? And how can I allow his life to change my life? Because Jesus leveraged his own pain and suffering as a platform to point everyone in the world to God. And when he hung on that cross and he died for you and me, everyone knew he was pointing to the love of God. And I just want to say today, if if you need to respond to that love. Today, if you realize that, man, in my life, I want to start this year out differently because my life has not been on track. And our shepherds and their wives are going to be available around the room, and they would love nothing more than to pray with you. If you want to step into this different way of living, step back into living this life that Jesus is calling to, of, of using your pain as a platform to point other people to Jesus. Maybe to this point in your life, your pain has been all about you. But Jesus says, it's not all about you. It's really all about me. And I want you to use what you've been given in this moment to point other people to me because this is where hope is found. This is where life is found. And if that's you, man, we want to pray today. Because we want to be a people. We want to be a church where the teachings and the words and the life of Jesus is changing lives. And it begins with it changing our lives. Jesus said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Kind of like a person who builds his house on solid rock. May we build our lives on the cornerstone foundation that is Jesus. And may we just respond in worship that he is everything to us. And may our lives point other people to him. Because he is the only one who saves. Let's sing.